This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. Now, last Saturday, um, well, I should start by saying, you guys know that um, that I work for a comic book store. Those of you who've been listening for a while know that I work for do part time work for a comic book store. Essentially, my job there is to uh, go in each week on a Saturday, uh, get a short box worth of comic books that are you know new arrivals and uh, bring them home, enter them into our online catalog, then bring them back the next week and put them in you know, where they belong in the store, on the shelves, in the boxes, wherever they belong. And then I'll do some other work there and all that. <clears throat> Get about 10 hours a week doing that. Uh, three or four of those hours are spent there on Saturdays. So, so that's what I do. And um, the store, uh, I work at the store I work with uh, uh, two other people. Uh, my friend Dave, who's, the, who's considered the store manager, and the owner, which I'll just call the owner or the boss. I, I, I won't give his name. Don't know why. Just not gonna. <laughs> People who know the store know who the guy is. But um, uh, this, if you, when you walk in there as a customer, there's the the customer section of the store. You know, the, for browsing, looking through, finding stuff, and all that. And we try to keep that as open and uncluttered as possible. We try. Uh, and we do a pretty decent job. Now, over the last c- couple of weeks or so, we've kept it closed to customers coming into the store because of the Omicron, Omicron variant of the COVID. COVID is still a thing, y'all. Uh, we've, we've, we've done that, but we can still you know, service our customers but that they order online. We can either mail stuff out to them or we can arrange a pickup you know they they can come in and we'll you know a curbside pickup we'll just they'll let us know we're there and we'll bring them out and give them the comic books that they uh, purchased and um and it's a good thing that the three of us that work there are are fairly thin because once you get past the front section where the customers can be and you get back behind the counter and then go into the back section that's where it gets a little difficult to navigate there's boxes of comic books and other kinds of stuff, toys and games and posters and all kinds of other stuff that are around in the back there. There's a back hall, a narrow, very narrow back hall now because there's long boxes of comic books out there. There's shelves with books on them. There's things in the, in the back hallway. And then there's the basement. And the basement is shelf after shelf after shelf with long boxes and long boxes of comic books. And again, and toys and games and all you know and 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 all kinds of other stuff related to 
things you would find uh, in a comic book store. I mean, it's and that's it's just it's amazing how much stuff. And then that's not that's not it. That's that's not all. Uh, there's our next door neighbor. It's a woodworking shop in his basement. He's got a great big open basement down there. We've rented a section of his basement in order to put more long boxes and comic books and stuff down there. And that's not the last of it. The boss has a warehouse, which is uh, essentially his garage, converted into a warehouse, which is filled with long boxes and long boxes and long boxes of comic books. So much stuff. And what the boss likes to do, his favorite thing to do while working at the store, is to go through the comic books, the stuff that he's bought, stuff that he's pulled out of the warehouse, and just go through them and, and grade and price them out. He just—he loves just sitting back. He's got this little desk in the back section of the of the store, and he's just—he's he's surrounded by comic books and other related materials, and he just likes to go through and page through the books, look at them, and, and give a grade to them, and mark down some condition notes if he feels that they should be marked, and put a price on it, and then get it all bagged and ready, ready to go up into the new arrival books up. In the, in, the, in the store part of the store where I will grab them, bring them home, enter them online, and then bring them back to the store. So he, that's what he likes to do. And in the course of doing that, and sometimes he gets off on different jobs that he's got to get taken care of, so he can't just sit and do all that, They'll some of those books will begin to pile up. And I guess this has happened before, and it will probably happen again. But uh, what I was greeted by when I showed up on Saturday morning last week, uh, I come in through the back, and there's that long, and you come in the back door, the long hall, which is very narrow, and I have to work my way through that, and then I get to the back door of the, you know, from the inside of the store, uh, and I get through there, uh, and the, the alarm needs to be turned off, and so I get in, and I start to head to the, where the alarm is, and I can see on the floor, in a little aisle that we have there, I see a stack of comic books that has have, has spilled out onto the floor. And a pile had fallen over. Now, it had fallen over during the night. I didn't knock it over. Honest to goodness, I didn't knock it over. That's how I found it. So I see that. I said, well, that's not good. Turn off the alarm, and then I come back. I take a picture of it, and then I look. That's not, that's not all of the comic books that had fallen down. There were, there, apparently there was another stack that had fallen over the other way and landed on the boss's chair. And just this, this avalanche of comic books that's gone over onto his chair and then spilled over onto the floor under his desk. And it's just a lot of comic books. <laughs> I took pictures and I sent them in a, in a group uh, uh, texting chat to Dave and the boss. And I said, look what I was greeted by this morning, fellas. And, uh, and so I had to spend the better part of an hour carefully picking these things up off the floor so that I wouldn't damage them any further if, in fact, they were damaged. And then uh, the boss said, find some magazine boxes and put them in those. You know, don't just pile them up somewhere. Just put them in those boxes. And he said, I'll sort them out when I get there later. And uh, so that's what I did. And among those comic books... Uh, there were quite a few that were in bags. Some of them had backing boards in them, so they were a little more protected from the, from a fall. But quite a lot were just the loose comic book. 
That's all it was. It wasn't. It wasn't bagged or backed or you know protected in any way. It was just the comic book. The only the only reason that most of them were protected was because there were so many of them. Then they just kind of slid and they didn't completely fall onto the floor, although so many of them did. And there was. It's it's just. Uh, it, it just it was something to look at. I'll put the pictures on the show notes page. Go to dimland.com. Click on the show notes bl- slash blog option, and you'll you'll see the pictures. So anyway. Um, not only did I text those two guys, uh, there was a, f- a fellow that used to work for the store, a friend of mine. Uh, he's he's moved on, and but we keep in touch. And I sent him the pictures of the comic books having fallen. You know, I sent him those pictures, and uh, he was he was like, oh boy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then and then I started sending both both the uh, the, the uh, both Dave and, and Chris in the group chat. And, that, and but also to the to the friend of ours that used to work in the store, I, I would send him some comic book pictures of the, that were in those stacks. And I, I sent one. There was an Avengers comic book uh, that's from Marvel Comics, the Avengers. Uh, there was a uh, number ninety-two, not uh, a major key, but uh, a big-time artist, uh, Neil Adams, worked on it. Neil Adams didn't do a lot of work for Marvel Comics. He mostly worked for DC, but he did some work for Marvel, and that was he did like four or five uh, issues of Avengers, and that was one of them. And 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 that, so that was a fairly you know decent book. And then there was a DC title. Uh, the New Teen Titans number one from about 1982, I think it was, um, or an 80 or 1980, 80 or 82, somewhere in there, and and that's you know although okay now that's not, also not the uh, super super high high value but it's pretty good it's a pretty valuable book, so I send a picture to our you know former coworker you know I send a picture to him and he's like, he puts little exclamations on the pictures it's like to emphasize that that's crazy, but then. I discovered the a, uh, a, a a whole section of comic books that were on the boss's chair. There was like 15 of them. I have in a picture. I got a fan. I sat them down and I fanned them out and took a picture of them. Uh, and on the boss's chair, there was they were fantastic issues of Fantastic Four. That's a Marvel series. Uh, it's the series that kicked off Marvel Comics in 1961. It was the series that was the answer to DC Comics uh, superhero grouping uh, of, uh, series that they called uh, the Justice League of America. And that had Superman and Batman and The Flash and Aquaman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern. They had all these characters in there. And uh, the publisher of uh, Timely Comics or Atlas Comics, which turned into Marvel Comics, it had gone through some name changes. It was mostly timely comics since the 1930s or so, and then it became Atlas Comics for a little bit, and then either it went back to timely or it went from Atlas to Marvel. I don't remember the whole chronology. But with the release of Fantastic Four number one in 1961, it the company became Marvel Comics. And so the flagship comic book was the, the Fantastic Four. It was the big kickoff, and it made, it made Marvel uh, fantastically popular. Uh, and and so that was you know it was a landmark, and so it wasn't that early in the series as a, 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 you know like number one in those. It, it was the the the, the, um, the Fantastic Four issues that were in that stack were you know there was number twenty seven and there was not you know these these and the numbers some issues that were in the forty in forties numbers and fifties and sixties or something like that. just this that kind of a range. And uh, so I spread it out. And I took that picture, 
and I sent that to the former employee. And his response in text was, and I quote, when he saw that picture, and I quote, fuck! <laughs> Sorry, I dropped an F-bomb, but that's how he responded, because in that spread of 15 comic books was uh, Fantastic Four number 48. And that is a major key issue. It is, I believe, the first appearance of Galactus, which was a big villain that the Fantastic Four went round and round with quite often. And, it, and I believe that it's the first issue. Now, I'll put that picture on there. Uh, you'll, you'll know which comic it is. It's when you look at the picture, it's the third from the left. Along the, uh, uh, the, the spine of the book, the, you, you can see on the cover, there's a, there's, the, there's a fellow that's you know bald head. He's wearing a toga, and he's got one hand raised, and he's looking up to the sky. Because he's, he's it's a character called the Watcher, and he's warning the Fantastic Four that, uh, that Galactus is coming. That issue, and, and this is what uh, was said by the, uh, the fellow who used to work at the store. He said, that one right there is worth probably two grand. And I don't know the condition it's in. Seems like it's in pretty decent condition. But he says it's, you know, and I looked it up as well, and he's, he seems, he's about right. And there's another book in there that might be worth about $1,000. I don't know how they're going to get priced out or whatever, but my goodness... Oh my goodness! <laughs> um, but as I said, it, it didn't appear as though anything got badly damaged except for one comic. One comic book got munched, got all bent out of shape, a little tear in the cover, and that was a, a late '80s uh, DC comic from a, a miniseries that was called Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was a big series that uh, that uh, was explaining the new. I don't know, backstory of the DC universe or something like that. I, I don't know. I wasn't a DC kid. I didn't read it. But uh, that's what I've learned since then. And the particular issue was uh, number eight. It's not It's it's not an unvaluable book, but it's it, it's now a lot less valuable than it was because it was in pretty good shape from what I could tell. But uh, then it's now it's now it's not. Now it's not in very good shape. It might be somewhat fixable, but uh, yeah. Ugh. So many, and it's, it's just was, you. I walked I, I walked in, I looked at it, and I was, oh my goodness, look at this. And, and it, part of the reason why something like that happens, well, it, these are these precarious stacks, uh, and it's just like the boss gets, gets busy doing other things other than sitting down and grading through the books. So, well, could have been a disaster. But so speaking of the Fantastic Four, as I said, it was the it was the comic book that launched Marvel Comics. Stan Lee, you know Stan Lee. He was the he, he was a writer for the for the for Timely and and Marvel. He was a writer, and uh, his uh, the publisher or editor or whatever uh, Martin Goodman, I think his name was. He he tasked Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. A, a very important artist in comic books, probably the most important artist in comic books. Uh, the, he tasked them with coming up with a superhero group. Uh, superhero comics were big in the in, in in the nineteen in the late nineteen thirties and through the forties. But after the uh, after the war, World War Two, once that came to an end, the superhero genre seemed to kind of peter out. Although DC Comics kept their 
stuff going, Superman, Batman, and, and such. But uh, Timely just uh, sort of abandoned the superhero stuff. Like, they stopped printing Captain America comic books in the 1950s or something. So the superheroes just were, they'd fallen out of favor. So they would go with monster comic books and uh, horror stuff, uh, uh, westerns, romance books, uh, just, just an eclectic mix, you know, sci-fi stuff. And and when DC launched the uh, uh, the um, Justice League of America in 1960, uh, Martin Goodman saw that and saw the success of it, and they said, "Well, let's let's have a superhero group." So in 1961, Fantastic Four came out. Now it's a little, you know, how much one of the creators had to do with it over the other, you know, like Stanley and, and Jack Kirby. I mean, Kirby had a lot to do with the look and, and the characterizations, I guess, and, and the writing and the stories. And Stan Lee had also a lot to do with the stories and, and, and the kinds of characters they were, that they were, they were supposed to be relatable. Like, real people reading the comic books would relate to these guys. They would have some of the same problems that people have. You know, not, you know over in the DC Universe... You know, it wasn't the kinds of problems, the secret identities of the characters, you know, like Bruce Wayne and, and Clark Kent, didn't have this quite the same kinds of problems that that normal people have. Uh, it, it, so the Fantastic Four, as a group, uh, they would, you know, they would bicker with each other. They were like a family. And there were two characters in particular, the Thing and the Human Torch. They would always be, you know, be uh, at each other's throats, at least during the beginning. And this was something that readers related to. And so Marvel began to take off. Uh, and now it's just, you know, a legendary imprint, legendary publishing, you know, comic book thing with movies and all that. In fact, uh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm going to watch Avengers Endgame this weekend because I've gone through the entire MCU catalog of the films in the suggested viewing order, like chrono chronological order, so it's not in the order that they were released to theaters, but the story, you know, you know, starting with Captain America, the first Avenger, and then Captain Marvel, and then on, you know, Iron Man, and on through. So I'm up to Endgame, and there'll be one more film I'll watch, and that'll be the uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, I think that's what it's called. I'll be, I, and I've seen all of them, but I wanted to watch them all again, so I'm going through it. Um, but I'm also reading these old comic books. Uh, there's a way to read them online. You can just, they're digitized and you can, you know, call up the comic books and there they are. So I, uh, I think it's called comicextra.com, something like, I think it's what it's called. I'll link to it in the show notes. And I've been reading through the Fantastic Four. And those early books... They were written for kids. <laughs> they certainly were. Uh, every sentence of, of, of dialogue, uh, every sentence is, ends with an ex, either an exclamation point or a question mark. There's no just a, just a normal statement. No period being used. It's a, if they're not asking a question, they're shouting, they're exclaiming. It's, it's interesting, but that's what they did for a long time. Uh, the thing... Yeah, it, it, the Fantastic Four became the Fantastic Four. There's a, it was a scientist and his girlfriend and his friend and the girlfriend's brother. 
the scientist is making rockets for the American government, and they, they want to get off into space. This is 1961, remember. And, and the, uh, uh, the group is pressuring the scientist, that's Reed Richards, to, let's go, let's get on the rocket, let's launch it. we got to beat the Ruskies. We can't let the Ruskies beat us. So he gets talked into it, and, and off they go. And he was worried. He said, I don't know, the shielding on the, on the rocket is not good enough to keep out the cosmic rays. If we, you know, Who knows what could happen to us if we get exposed to it? Well, they did. They got exposed to the cosmic rays, and then they came back to, or, you know, they crash land back on Earth, and suddenly uh, Reed Richards, is, uh, he, can, he can stretch himself. He can stretch. And Susan Storm... The uh, the girlfriend of Reed, uh, she you know she can turn invisible, and Johnny Storm, Sue's brother, he can set himself on fire and fly around, and Ben Grimm, friend of Reed Richards, uh, and and classmate, uh, college classmate, he turns into this lumpy orange thing that's really strong, and it, and that's 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 the origin of the Fantastic Four, and they and they didn't feel the need to hide their identities. Which was another interesting aspect that uh, uh, that was brought about by Marvel Comics. Although they do have plenty of characters that hide their identities, uh, but so anyway, uh, the fan. It's just I was just reading it, and it's like you know the thing and the Human Torch are constantly getting in fights with each other. With Reed Richards having to stretch his arms around the thing to hold him back from Johnny, uh, Johnny Storm, uh, Human Torch. Uh, and and it's just it, that's always happening. The thing is ready to, to get into a fight at the drop of a hat. He's ready to just start throwing punches no matter what. And and of course he's uh, feeling horrible about himself because he's ugly now. And uh, yeah, it's all it's all kinds of of uh, 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 kid type stuff. And it's, it's not very sophisticated. But the comic books would get more sophisticated as time went on. Uh, I'll talk to about I'll talk about how much more sophisticated comic books got as time went on. Uh, when I come back from my break, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, hang tight, and I'll be back. Other guys. The finger. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, on Z Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Hey, I almost forgot. It's it's time for... It's quiz time on Dimland Radio. Everybody got your pens ready? Okay, I'm going to ask you a question here. It's a multiple choice answer. Uh, can you name the person who said this? That's why I don't eat friggin' lobster or anything like that. Because they're alive when you kill it. Was that A, Mahatma Gandhi... B. Jane Goodall 
C. Albert Einstein, or D. Snooky. This has been Quiz Time on Dimland Radio. You're listening to Z Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I was talking about comic books, and and you know, as a comic book fan and, and a reader of comic books, you know, at least back in the day, um, I, I you know, comic books got more sophisticated as they as they as they aged, as they grew, uh, as they became more popular. Uh, college kids would start reading comic books and things like that. So the stories got a little more complex, and it wasn't these. You know, it, they they didn't seem quite as silly. Uh, sure, they're silly, <laughs> but I mean they're comic books. Um, but they got to be uh, you know, new. Uh, other writers would come in. I mean, in those first few years. <clears throat> of uh, of Marvel Comics. It was Stan Lee uh, writing, to some extent, all the books. The artists that worked on like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, they would also do writing. Uh, the way, as I understand it, the way it would be, uh, Stan Lee would sit down with Jack Kirby and say, okay, this is the story I'm thinking of. Ah, Jack, I'm thinking of this kind of a story. Let, you know, he'd have that kind of thing. And he'd just kind of throw out this sort of villains he would see, the, some of the situations that would happen, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And then uh, uh, Jack Kirby would go away. He'd write all the notes about the whatever. And, and then he would do, you know, 22 pages or 24 pages of art or 26 pages of art. I can't remember what it was back then. And he would, you know, put little dialogue suggestion notes and, and all that. He would just create the story from those those bits and pieces that were uh, thought of, of by, by Stan Lee. And then Jack would bring the book, you know, the illustrated book back in. And Stan Lee would sit down and write the dialogue and put in the narrative direction and dialogue you know, or the narrative. To put all that, you know, those things in. And, and so that's how it worked. And I think that's probably how it worked with Steve Ditko as well. Steve Ditko was the one that uh, uh, worked on Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and, and those kinds of things. And um, Jack Kirby drew seemed like he drew just about everything else. <laughs> but there were other artists that began to come, come into the books and other writers that began to come in. And as those other writers got in there, some of the stories started to get a little more sophisticated, a little more in-depth, and, and they would do these long-haul things. They would put little little bits and pieces of a, of a hint of a longer story, you know, something that would be paid off months down the road. Uh, they just have a little bit here and there. And then, then it would start to, to grow. And and I like that in comic books. I don't know. I think DC did some of that too after a while. They started noticing that was what Marvel was doing. And so they started to gear their comic books in that same direction. 
I mean, they, I mean, there was actually a, 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 I think it was a, Action Comics or Superman Comics, whichever, whichever, that had Superman having to eat lots of hamburgers. He had to just keep eating for whatever reason. He had to keep eating. It's a very odd. It's just you know, well, come on, <laughs> come on. That's weird. So anyway, but it, comic books got even more sophisticated as time went on, and and and, and that's what brings me to um, talking about this uh, uh, graphic novel series um, called uh, Mouse, M A U S. I did not read that. I I, it, I see. I I found the digitized copy of it, and so I'll I'll read it. Uh, I knew I knew about it when it came out. I was not. It was more of an underground comic series. I was more into the superhero stuff, so it didn't interest me. But I was aware of it ex existing. And what it is, it's it's a, a comic book series uh, that ended up being collected into a graphic novel, uh, written and illustrated by a man named Art Spiegelman, and he's won a he won a Pulitzer Prize for the for the Mouse uh, book, and and it's a it's 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 him relating the stories of Holocaust survival and what was what happened in the Holocaust, the stories that his father told him, and uh, what he, he creates these characters that like the Jews in the books, they're they're mice, and the Nazis are cats, and and he's created this this, this story, and I guess it's, um, I guess it's really I guess it's brilliant the story, but I guess it's also well, now it's controversial. I guess the, the controversy was probably around it always, or there was something about it, you know, writing about Nazis and the Holocaust. You know, and but it was an honest depiction uh, of the of the atrocities. And so, um, I get it, it, the book came into the no, into uh, the news the other day when a Tennessee school board. Voted ten to nothing to remove uh, the book *Mouse*, the, the graphic novel, from the uh, eighth grade curriculum. They don't. It doesn't. The article that I and I'll link. It's an NPR article, I think, or whatever that I have. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. It doesn't say in there whether the book was taken out of the school libraries or things like that. It just. It's what it says is is that it the the school board removed the book from its curriculum uh, for eighth graders. Uh, yeah. So I it, is it is it banned? And the reason why is there's some swear there's some curse words in there like goddamn or damn. Is in there, and then there's there's a drawing uh, of a naked woman in a bathtub, uh, based on our Spiegelman's mother. Uh, it's a she's she's committed suicide. Yeah, dark stuff, dark stuff for a comic book. And and he says, you know, it, it's it's a very simple drawing, and it's not very. It's just it, it's I don't know. It's a drawing of a nude body, and for some reason. This the school board just thought, nah, you know, we can't expose kids to this. And this has brought up the whole, you know, related to the critical race theory being taught in schools, which it's not. It's being taught in law schools, but it's not being taught in high schools and grade schools. It's not. It's not. Uh, but it, it, it kind of brings that in. And it's, it, this, is this banned? I don't know if that's considered banning it or whatever, but it's just curious that it, really 
the kid can't handle hearing goddamn. Somebody had uh, shared it on Facebook. There was a reaction to it. You know, oh, you know, we don't want kids to be hearing the you know the phrase goddamn. You know, between their active shooter drills, we want the kids to be okay. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. But here's the thing. I mean, in my life. Uh, Again, I have not read Mouse. I'm, I'm going to. I'm told that it's worth a read, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to read it. Um, when I was in the seventh grade, eighth graders are 13, 14, seventh graders are 12, 13, something like that. So when I was in the seventh grade, Mr. Raymond, my, my English teacher, read to the class John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. Uh, I've been seeing a meme shared of a stack of books that are, you know, banned books, you know, read banned books. And one of the banned books in there is Of Mice and Men. And, and, and I don't know banned under what circumstance and, 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 and that kind of thing, but it's in there. And it's like my seventh grade teacher read it to the class. And he did something uh, prior to reading it. You see, he, he stood up in front of the class and he says, I'm going to be reading this book to you. And he says, uh, there's language in this book that may be objectionable. You know, it's not the kind of language that, uh, uh, yeah, polite society tolerates. Although, like, we kind of do, <laughs> some of them. Uh, and he says, but you guys are old enough, you're smart enough, you're mature enough to be able to handle this story. Because he says, I'm not going to change any of the words. This is an important book of American literature. This is an important book that gives a snapshot of what life was like in the 1930s. It, we, we can learn from this. You know. and, and he says, oh, I'm going to read this to you. And that was smart, the way he handled it. He just told us straight up that you guys can handle this. And I don't remember there being any kind of controversy. I don't remember any kind of you know parents calling up, saying, oh, you know, Johnny came home and said you were reading book that had a book that had the N word in it. So I looked uh, I looked online about this book about why it might be a, a, a banned book of mice and men, and I found this on the uh, San Jose State University website, and it's a it's it's a, I guess it's a guideline for you know for teaching the book of mice and men to uh, school kids grades 7 to 12. And it gives the objectives. I'll read these to you. Objectives. Before reading of Mice and Men, students will understand some of the controversial issues. Racism, sexism, violence, language, and mental retardation, the term used in the 1930s. Students will work collaboratively in small groups to discuss and understand the documents provided. Um, students will understand why Of Mice and Men has been on many banned books lists over the years. Students will understand that Steinbeck was neither a racist nor a sexist, but he just reflected the social climate of the time. Students will understand the nature of censorship. Students will understand the difference between mentally ill and mentally challenged. Students will understand how the mentally challenged were treated in the 1930s. That's part of the objectives of, uh, of teaching the kids uh, the book of Mice and Men. Uh, 
according to San Jose State University in this curriculum for teachers, I guess. And then there's the, some of the reasons of what's, what, what they're going to find in the book, what might be objectionable. Uh, the liberal use of the word, and they, they write it out, but it's the N-word. I'm not going to say it on the show. An open discussion should lead to the student's understanding that Steinbeck was not a racist, but was merely re realistic in reflecting the attitudes of the times when that particular word, even though offensive at the time, was in comedy, uh, com common use, not comedy use, <laughs> in common use. It was still offensive then, but it just was used. It was a word that was used. Um... Next, simp uh, sexual implications. Though mild by today's standards, uh, of Curly's wife and the men and their cat house visits. This may be a sensitive issue, and teachers should use discretion. Uh, Curly is a character in the book. He's like the boss of a bunch of men that do some work on a farm or something. And his wife is a very flirtatious woman uh, and likes to rile up Curly by flirting with the men. And cat house, which is in quotes, apparently used that in the book. Uh, the language, mild by today's standards, but students will encounter bastard, son of a bitch, bitch, not the dog reference, and the like. This is, these are the words, along with the N-word, that uh, Mr. Raymond was warning us about. Violence, without alluding to plot, Prepare kids for brief and unintentional scenes of violence. Initiate a brief discussion uh, about if violence is ever justified. Uh, the treatment of mentally challenged people has changed dramatically since the 1930s. Also make sure students understand the distinction between mentally ill and mentally challenged. Now, if you know the story, there's Lenny. Lenny is mentally challenged. Uh, he's, 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 he's not, you know, he's not as smart, he's a little slow, he's very childlike. He's a very big fellow, though. Doesn't know his own strength. He doesn't quite have the control of it. And he's with his friend George, which is a friend. It's, they're, they're not family, they're not, you know, they're, they're just friends. And George kind of takes care of Lenny. Um, and then, it, and, uh, the, and, the, and they recommend that you discuss uh, with the students lynchings. Uh, discussed that lynchings still occurred in the 1930s, and racist attitudes were prevalent. That's of mice and men. That's what John Steinbeck, uh, part of what he was writing about in there, reflecting the times. Uh, and this book was read to me and my class when we were in the seventh grade in 1977. I don't think mouse is that big a deal. So read banned books. Read them. I got, I got some, I got some reading to do, I guess. But oh man, <laughs> I'm so busy, so far behind on everything, uh, and I'm even a little bit behind on my next break. So let's get to it. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com, and uh, again, that's it. Yeah, you know, it's your host, Jim Doctor Diffitt Simmons. I will return. <laughs> You know, if I can maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, 
I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Oh, Lord, honey, can somebody tell me what my future holds? Hey, man, you think I can get a reading? Wrong answer. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Dr. Dim, Jim Fitzsimmons, only on Z-Talk Radio. Hey everyone, this is Professor Dave. I want to teach you about all kinds of things regarding science. I want to tell you about physics. I want to tell you about chemistry, biology, astronomy, math, and many, many more things. Come check me out on YouTube. The channel is called Professor Dave Explains. Take it easy. He knows a lot about the science stuff. Professor Dave Explains. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. to Dimland Radio here in the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, let's see. Spotify has uh, uh, has been brought into the news by uh, Neil Young, of all people. Uh, singer, songwriter, rock musician from Canada who uh, is upset at uh, Dimland Radio two times, Science Zero, Joe Rogan, and upset with uh, Spotify for um, hosting Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, I think it's exclusive to Spotify, and you know, and he's upset because uh, Rogan is a disseminator of misinformation about all kinds of shit. Uh, but uh, but uh, in this particular case, it's the it's the anti-vaccine uh, bullshit that Rogan just you know lives on. And and, and 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 so Neil Young had said, uh, take my music off Spotify or take Joe Rogan off. You know, so you take Joe Rogan off or I'm taking my music off. Well, Spotify said, no, let's look at the downloads. Uh, Neil Young, mm-hmm, yeah, respectable. Joe Rogan, holy shit. Uh, goodbye, Neil. <laughs> you know, because Rogan has... Tons of downloads, and as far as Spotify is concerned, that's okay. You know. And then I've been seeing, uh, and and jo- Joni Mitchell has uh, apparently joined Neil Young now in uh, saying, "Take my stuff off of Spotify because of the Joe Rogan misinformation shit." And so I thought, "Ooh, well, that's interesting." And then I started seeing that uh, people. Everyday people, customers of Spotify, have started to say goodbye to Spotify. That's right, uh, Joe Rogan. We got. It. I'm not going to give them money or you know listen to Spotify. I'll get my music elsewhere. And one of those people is somebody that I know, 
mentioned it and I just said, call me weak, but I can't give up my Spotify. And, and they said, well, you know, I'm, they're going over to Apple Music. And I've got over 4,500 songs in my playlist on Spotify that I go through ran, you know, on random all the time. So that it's, I call it, my call that playlist uh, the radio station I've always wanted. It plays all the music that I like. Never a song I don't like being played. And I, you know, and it, it's over 4,500 songs in there. I just, it's just put them in that same play, uh, playlist. I used to make other playlists and then I got rid of all of them because all the songs I, ha I want to listen to are, you know, why duplicate the playlist? Because they're going to be in the one anyway. So just put them in the one. And I, I, you know, so it, it, they're upset about Joe Rogan being on Spotify. He's a, he's a, you know, somewhat anti-vax kind of guy. Uh, he, well, he'll say he's not anti-vax, but you know, he's just a jacking off kind of guy. I'm just asking questions, kind of thing. And I, I just want to ask the people that uh, might be, you know. Think, you might think that uh, uh, less of me uh, for not getting off Spotify. You know who else is on Spotify? Ted Nugent's on Spotify. Ted Nugent is anti-vax. He's anti. He was anti-shutdowns and he was anti all the, the measures, taking masks and all that. He was anti all that stuff. He got COVID, but you know, never. He didn't learn his lesson. As far as I know, he's still that. He's he's on Spotify. Should we dump Spotify because of that? Eric Clapton's on Spotify. He's also an anti-vaxxer. Uh, he and Van Morrison uh, wrote a song and put it out the other day. Uh, you know, during the shutdowns, is there saying uh, an anti-shutdowns thing, an anti-measure to try to keep people from dying, uh, a measure to try to you know get us through the pandemic. They're all against that, and he's he. I think Clapton said something about. People are hypnotized to want to take the vaccine or something. Something ridiculous. And so, well, he's on Spotify. So is Van Morrison. You know, and they're both anti-vax. They're spreading their form of disinformation and misinformation about vaccines and about the pandemic. They're, they're doing their part. You know, and let's move away from, from uh, covid you know who else is on the on Spotify? Phil Spector. He's all over the place. He's a producer, right? You know the Beatles' "Let It Be" albums on there. That was uh, uh, reproduced by Phil Collins. He went in and, and reworked the the album. It was kind of left languishing, and they brought Phil Collins in. Oh, not Phil Collins. Phil Spector. Did I say Phil Collins before? Oh, jeez. Phil. They brought Phil Spector in to take care of the album, and and Phil Spector's worked with the Ramones. Uh, which album is it? Uh, end of the century, he produced that. That's on Spotify. There's all that you know the the uh, the Phil Spector wall of sound kind of thing with you know with the Ronettes with Ronnie Spector who just died recently. It, it, that's all. That's that's on Spotify. You know, and Phil Spector is a convicted murderer. He's on. Should we dump Spotify? He's on there. I don't know. Should we dump him for dump it because of that? You know who else is on Spotify? Gary Glitter. Gary Glitter. He's not known for many songs. But he's known for one, and it's a really crappy, crappy, crappy song. 
the recline and fall of rock and roll or decline and fall of rock and roll part one or so. It's a horrible song. It's horrible. It's on Spotify. And Gary Glitter was a convicted pedophile. He's on Spotify. Should we dump Spotify? I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Am I making excuses for not dumping Spotify when other people are doing it because of Joe Rogan and they're take you know in a world of Joe Rogan's be a Neil Young that 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 came out. I, I, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna keep my Spotify. I just I just am. I if we if for me if we're if we're Dumping, it's, uh, it's, you know, not consuming uh, uh, that because of, you know, because of uh, the, the horrible past of, uh, and bad ideas of some of the people that are on there. Well, then, well, we weren't going to listen to anything. For you. I'm sure Wagner's on Spotify, and he was an anti Semite, a very, you know, an uproarious one. Linking it back to the mouse thing. So I'm doing here. So I don't know. It's up to you. You want to dump Spotify? Go ahead. Just, I don't know. Okay, now warning for the sports ballers. Um, I like football, American football. And last weekend, uh, football fans had... Quite a weekend of football. Now uh, it was uh, there were two games on Saturday and there were two games on Sunday. Uh, it was the divisional playoffs to determine uh, which teams would meet in the championship series play uh, as the uh, part of the playoffs, um, the league championship series or games, not series games, because there's no it's not a series in football. It's just a game, not like baseball or basketball or hockey. Football is pretty brutal sport, yeah, so you don't you don't have a series of football games. Um, anyway, so they're determining the the uh, the league championship games, which will be played next week, uh, this weekend, uh, this Sunday. But uh, so the Saturday games, uh, there was the Bengals, uh, Cincinnati Bengals went to the Tennessee Titans and played, and the Bengals won by a score of nineteen to sixteen. Uh, it was kind of a defensive struggle, but that uh, uh, the win came at the very end of the game with a field goal being kicked to win it for the Bengals, and that was kind of a you know a nice close game that came down to that last play to win. Then there was the uh, the San Francisco 49ers going to uh, Green Bay to play the Packers, uh, and it was a cold game and all that, so it was a very low scoring affair. It was tied at 10 going into the end of the game. And the 49ers were able to get in the field goal range and kick a field goal and win the game 13-10. Then the next day, this is where it got so much more fun. The first game was uh, the Los Angeles Rams playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had to go to Tampa Bay to play. Uh, that game, the Rams went up at one point 27-3 over the Buccaneers. Uh, the Buccaneers have the uh, quarterback, Tom Brady, who is considered the greatest of all time uh, quarterback. Uh, and he cert I, I, he's certainly in the top three. 
And uh, that game, you know, it looked like that was going to be a blowout. Well, 27-3, yeah, you know, Rams are just just, just taking it to the Bucks. And then what happened? Uh, uh, Tom Brady, you know, captained his team to tie the tie the score at 27 uh, in the late you know in the near the end of the game and the Rams were able to on their last possession at the end of the game the last few seconds were able to kick a field goal and win it so these are the visiting teams have won these first three games and but that was pretty exciting that Rams uh, Buccaneers game but my goodness the finale for the weekend a game where the Buffalo Bills went to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. That game, my goodness, my goodness. Uh, pretty even throughout, although it did seem as though Kansas City had the advantage. It always felt like they were in more control. They had the lead for longer in the game. Uh, the Bills did score first, and it seemed like they did so pretty easily, but then... Kansas City answered, and it was kind of a back and forth. And then the Bills started to to lag behind as the game was coming to an end. And in the last two minutes, the lead changed like three or four times. There was at one point the Bills scored a touchdown to go up by three points in that two minutes, and I my hand went up with a fist and I yelled, "Yeah!" I was really excited. But I thought, "Oh." That's you know, there's still too much time. You know, Kansas City with this Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback for that team, and my goodness, is he good? And it, it was going to be, oh boy, you know, they, they're going to do, and they did. They came down the field, they scored a touchdown, they go up by four points over the Bills. So ah crap! But then the Bills get the ball back with about a minute left, and I think they had all three of their timeouts. So that's pretty good and I started saying to my friends that I was chatting with their Buffalo Bills fans I said you know Kansas City may have scored too early scored too soon they didn't take enough time off the clock and it turns out that's that's what happened because Josh Allen who's also a very good quarterback led his team down the field and they scored a touchdown to go back up by three points and this time with 13 seconds left in the game so it looks like it was the second time I raised my, threw my fist up and yelled, yeah, or yes. And I was so excited because I wanted, I was pulling for the Bills. I mean, how can you pull for the Chiefs, though? The audience, the, audience, the, the fans do the tomahawk chop thing. Oh, God. Anytime you start liking them, they, they break that out and you go, oh, yeah, right, that's right. They're racially insensitive and it's just, they sound like they're idiots. So anyway. It just, it just got to be, it's like, all right, the Bills are going to do it. they got 13 seconds left in the game. It's going to be fine. But you know something? This, Kansas City has uh, that Patrick Mahomes, and they had two timeouts left. So that could be enough time. And it turned out it was. He was able to get into field goal range, the team in the field goal range. They kicked the field goal. They tied the game, went into overtime. Kansas City won the coin flip, so they get the ball first because no team ever says, no, I'll give it to the other team when they win the, uh, when they win the coin toss in overtime. They always take the ball first because the first, if the first team scores a touchdown, first team to possess the ball in overtime scores a touchdown, they win. Game's over. The other team doesn't even get a chance to possess the ball, to have a, have a, have a chance to tie it up and keep, extend the overtime. And that's what happened. Kansas City won the won the coin toss. They marched down the field. 
scored and won. That's what they did. And, and it was sad because, you know, the Bills didn't... I mean, it was a great game. It's just, I mean, people were touting it as this is probably the greatest playoff game in NFL history. It certainly was really good, but it was tarnished a little bit by that overtime. They The rules need to be looked at, you know... Uh, in baseball, the home team still gets a chance to get its last at bat. If the if they go into extra innings and the visiting team scores and they're ahead by one or two runs, the the, the they don't they don't win automatically. The other team, the home team, has to have its at bat to try to either tie it up or go ahead and win. Or they, if they don't get scored, then they lose. They have that. And in hockey and basketball and soccer, European football. The, their overtime or extra time or whatever they call it, the way the nature of the game is that the that the ball or the puck goes to each team. You know, so each team has their chance to get that that sudden death score. You know, in hockey, if they well, in hockey, if they score a goal, they win. In soccer, I don't think that's exactly how it. If they score a goal, if they win, I think it, I think they still run out the time. I don't know. I'm not a hockey guy or a soccer guy. In basketball, there's a certain amount of time. That for the overtime, and whoever leads at the end of that overtime wins. If they're tied again, they go to another overtime. And in the playoffs, they do that until they get a winner. And in hockey, they do that until they get a winner. In soccer, they do that until they get a winner, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Soccer's a different thing, and I don't know enough about it. And, yeah, that's... Um, I mean, that was such a wonderful weekend of football. And someone on Facebook... An acquaintance of mine, someone I actually kind of know, talked to, chatted with, commented back and forth on Facebook with, had said, I guess there was some sports ball thing this weekend. You know, the sports ball. It's a, it's a term used by people that don't like sports, and they want other people to know that they don't like sports, and they want other people to know that they don't like sports in a way that says they're above the whole thing because they're not even good. You know, they're, they're not even knowledgeable enough to know what the name of the game is. They just call it sports ball. It's a dismissive. It's somewhat smug. And it's all that. And I and I commented on that and said such a thing that it's a smug dismiss, dismissal of somebody else's. You know, that's that's a form of entertainment for someone else. Someone else enjoys it. Why not let them enjoy it? Why do you have to just kind of pop up there and say, oh, I guess some sports ball thing was happening. But sports ball could also be a term used for by people that just don't like sports and they don't want to get into a conversation about sports. You know, if you're sitting at a bar and somebody leans to you and says something about, you know, and says, oh, did you see that game last night? If you use the word sports ball, it's a shorthand for, no, I don't want to get into a conversation with you about this because I didn't watch the game last night. Uh, so maybe there's that. And... I don't know. I'm guilty of stuff that that I'm I call people out on. I I'm not I'm not I'm not perfect. Don't tell my wife I said that. But yeah, it's the, when Wordle started taking over Facebook, and people just started posting their Wordle results without giving away what the puzzle was. It's a it's a different word each day. You, you know, only one a day. And they just, you know, they want you to share and see, you know, show people how well you did. You get six tries to, to guess the a five-letter word, and it helps you along by showing that if you've got letters in the word that you guessed in the right place, 
or letters that you got that are right but not in the right place and then letters that aren't in the in the word at all and you try that through six steps to see if you can guess what the word is and i did do a little bit of a snarky uh announcement on that i said i i did wordle once <laughs> i did it i did it once i said what is this wordle and somebody explained it and they sent me they gave me a link and i went over and I said i did one and it was interesting i posted the results and then later i said well, I did, yeah I, i've done wordle once and i guess that's a little snarky it's a little, hopefully it doesn't come across as smug. And I'm trying not to be too smug about this kind of thing. But there's interesting uh, pushback on Wordle because now people are getting tired of seeing the Wordle stuff popping up on their page. And now they are doing the sports ball thing by arrogantly and smugly dismissing the, the entertainment value of, of Wordle. You know? And I guess I'll just say, let people enjoy what they enjoy. Uh, I, when I commented about this this whole thing on the sports ball thing on Facebook, it got a really good discussion going. Some people made some excellent points. You know, one person said they really can't get into sports ball uh, or any sports. You know, I don't know if they said sports ball, but any sports it, that, especially if it's going to require that teenagers risk traumatic brain injury, and that is it's a good point, and that's a fair point. That that's that's how they can't they I can't get into sports about that. But a little back and forth. Uh, a little pointing to me saying, well, you're kind of guilty of it too. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess, and I'm trying not to be, it's hard, it's hard, but I'm trying to grow as a human being and be kind and be nice to people and all that. So, you know, let people enjoy what they enjoy as long as they're not you know, hurting somebody. I mean, well, who cares if they're going to put their Wordle score up? And who cares if they're going to discuss how great that weekend was of NFL football playoffs? Who, yeah, come on. Just, you know, if you're not into it, you're not into it. You don't have to be snarky about it, right? Good night, Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. <sighs> well, live and learn. I'm trying. I'm, you know, whatever. So wash your hands, uh, wear your masks, get your vaccines, get your booster. Uh, be careful out there. Be skeptical. And extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. You've been listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, reminding you all to sleep the lights off. I can talk fast when I want to. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network.
now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. My life, you're clever, Jim. It's certainly taken me in. Well, well I'm going to hell. hell.